Wonderful. Earlier this summer, we started to have a profile slot uh, where someone from the church gets up and talks a little bit about themselves. Can I give you one more job, Tom? Can you unwind a mic? That would be great. And uh, the person that kicked... Anyone know the first person that uh, came and did a profile? It was Michael Brown. And we decided to go for a reprieve today and have a bit more of Michael. So you're on, Mike. And uh, you came up here a few weeks ago and talked a bit about your issues with OCD. Do you want to just recap very briefly uh, what you were finding in your life? Yeah, apparently it wasn't enough to put me through this once, so <laughs> Nigel and Sam have got me back up here, so thanks for that. Um, so yeah, I very briefly touched on experiences with mental health, some OCD tendencies, anxiety, intrusive thoughts, um, and it's safe to say the interviews have got less intense since then, so I think we're trying to pick it back up, aren't we? Okay, yeah, <laughs> we, we need your kind of intenseness. Uh, and when you came a couple of months ago, you said you were going to get some counselling or see some people, so what's happened over the last couple of months or so? Good, yeah, so I'm just going to take it from here, and Nigel's asked me just to go through some of the kind of things and experiences I had through doing some therapy, and we're just going to touch on three things um, which were um, useful uh, for me, just to see if maybe that's useful for other people. Um, so just pop freedom. Um, so firstly, I want to say thank you, because there was a lot of people who asked me um, how therapy went, um, how it was going, and it was nice to be able to come here on a Sunday, and then it was every Monday morning, um, go to therapy. Um, I think it's really important to be doing it um, in a community, and I think a lot of people can do it as quite a lonely thing um, when they just do it by themselves. So that was really supportive, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, so the first thing um, which I got taught to do, and I'll just recap kind of OCD and intrusive thought stuff for those who weren't there because otherwise it won't make a lot of sense. So what I like to, how I like to explain it is apparently a lot of people get very intrusive or negative or disturbing thoughts. And for most people they just say, oh, well, that's silly, and it goes away. And if you're wired a bit differently, we don't need to stick a label on it. Um, you start to go into, when you get that thought, you go into what I call like pink elephant mode, where you go, don't think about pink elephants, don't think about pink elephants. And all you're doing is thinking about pink elephants. Um, and I wish it was just pink elephants. Um, and then, um, so that's kind of what it is, and then that comes with a dose of anxiety, and you do something to make yourself feel better, so it drops, but then it goes up and up and up. So that's kind of it. So the first thing he taught me to do was worry time. So it's a bit counterintuitive. Worry time is where I set a time aside every week or maybe a couple of times a week and I give myself 10 minutes and then I'm allowed to go to town on all the obsessions which have come up during the week and it's a dark, dark time. No, I've actually never done worry time. But what's important is that when I go through the day and something comes up, instead of engaging with it, I go, oh no, that's for worry time. I'll go and do that later. And then, you know... It doesn't go away straight away, but it's helpful when it, it's starting to, starting to work. So like I said, I've never actually done worry time, but it's enough of a threat to the thoughts um, to get them out there. So that's one useful one which has helped a lot. Similar to worry time is writing time, where he asked me to just have a time set aside where I write down all the things, um, which I think is quite a common thing. Um, and that's been useful. It kind of, you just splurge it onto the page, don't you? onto your Word document. Um, and then um, it's kind of gone. And then the one I really want to focus on is this one, which is the hardest one. Well, I don't know. 
Worry time would probably be harder if I ever did it. Um, this one's don't reassure yourself. Um, so a lot of people, when they have a negative thought come in or an intrusive thought or a disturbing thought, they try and turn it over in their head and they say, let's look at it from this angle, let's look at it from this angle, or I'll reassure myself, oh, what I did wasn't that bad, or, oh, no, that definitely can't be me. I'd never do X, Y, or Z, push that person off the cliff or whatever as I walk past them. Um, this is one of the hardest ones to do because what he said to me he wants me to do is just when it comes you have to say okay I'm going to embrace this and I'm not going to reassure myself and I say to myself feel the anxiety and just let it go on you which is obviously the last thing any of us want to do um, and this one's probably been A the hardest B the most helpful because actually what you find out pretty quickly is it's you pushing back against it which really causes the problem. So if you just start thinking about that pink elephant, then you thought about it and it goes, and you realize that actually pink elephants aren't real and neither are the thoughts that you're having. Um, so yeah, I think that's, those are all the things I wanted to go through, keeping it nice and brief today. Yeah, That's great. Okay, can we pray for you, Michael? Yeah, sure, go for it. Yeah. Lord, thank you again for Michael sharing. Thank you that he's uh, prepared to open up on his journey Thank you that we can play a part in that, and when we think of him, we can pray for him. Lord, we pray for him now, that you continue to help him at every level, getting good counselling, getting good advice, meeting you in his heart and spirit, and being in a place of healing and wholeness. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Do you just want to say, when the therapist said, have you ever told anyone else, do you want to just say what you said? You were a bit surprised. Oh, yeah, I had my yeah. first time. And he said to me, okay, so who knows, uh, who knows you're here and doing therapy? I was like, oh, okay, so I'm, I chat to my parents about it, and my younger brother knows, and some of my friends. And then I said, oh, and then yesterday morning I chatted to my whole church about it. <laughs> and he was a bit taken aback. So he said, oh, what was that like? And I said, oh, I'll send you the talk. Um, so he listened through the whole talk, and I think he, I think he enjoyed it. Yeah, brilliant. So it can be a really, really lonely road, uh, and he was just amazed that you'd shared it with a whole bunch of people, and it, it makes it precious to be in community when people share at that level. Thank you very much. It's all right. Leave it on. Jill's going to use that. Thank you, Michael. I want to welcome Jill Parnham from Broccoli. You can say hi to her husband, Andy, as well. Jill uh, does counselling at Here for Good. She's run a counselling service there for how many years, Jill? Long time, about 12 years. And she teaches and trains in counselling at Spurgeon's College. Let's just pray. Lord, we thank you for this subject. We thank you that people in our church suggested it. And Lord, we want to meet you today and find out more about uh, wellness. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Hello. Fantastic. Michael, thank you very, very much. As a therapist, I want to say thank you. Brilliant. Um, so, yes, here we are. This is the first time I have ever been asked to speak about emotional health in a church. So, well done, Forest Hill. Wow, and the church, you, some, some people were asking for it, but that's absolutely brilliant. So Nigel has already told you a little bit about me. Um, 
I worked in a church like this for about 20 years, so my history is in the church. I want you to know that because I'm not going to be using churchy language or even very spiritual language this morning. In fact, one of the things you may struggle with with what I say is that I'm not using very spiritual language because I have learned to use different language, but that I think means the same thing. So I worked in a church like this, and in 2003... Some quite big explosion happened in my life, and I had the opportunity to train as a therapist. So I trained as a therapist for three or four years, and since then I have been working, um, seeing people privately, one day a week in Here for Good, which I'm very grateful to Nigel for providing me with a very regular room to work in, which is fantastic in a Christian kind of environment. And I I worked in a GP surgery for 10 years, two different... Uh, GP surgeries, seeing ordinary members of the public. um, And it was one of the best experiences of my life where I got this sort of snapshot of the nation's mental health. Uh, And it was very challenging, but I got to work with a whole range of different issues. And it really, really honed my thinking around emotional health. I had to give that up. It was either that or my own physical health because I was traveling all the way over to Harrow. So now I'm just seeing people privately, and I work um, at Spurgeon's where I get to teach counseling two or three days a week. And it's a really nice balance. And I suppose what I'm fascinated by is what changes people. Um, And I'm really interested in this kind of very close linkage between emotional and spiritual health. And they're very, very intertwined. You can't really separate them, but I think often we have separated them, and sometimes quite unhelpfully. So do we have any mental health professionals sitting here? Anybody in their sort of working life, working with people that suffer from emotional... So we've got a GP here, yes? Hello, Naomi. I'm sorry that... um, Anyone? Yes? Do you want to shout out your name? Pardon? Art therapy, fantastic. And that uh, Melissa works in this area, didn't you? And actually, Kathy Maguire has spent a, a lifetime working in this area. So thinking about her this morning. So is, is, is mental health an issue today? So, yeah, next slide. <laughs> Ask a very basic question. Is mental health, and the statistics really speak for themselves, don't they? I'm going to flash through these um, quite quickly. So... You're just going to keep... <laughs> Thank you very much. But uh, going to have fun, aren't we? <laughs> the first one. Um, the World Health Organization says that the most pressing global health issue that we face is heart... Uh, is, um, at the moment, it's heart disease, but by 2030, it's going to be depression. Depression is a global problem. And depression is an issue not just for the elderly or for the middle-aged. As as we've been hearing, depression is an issue for the very young as well. One in four girls are showing signs of depression by the age of 14. One in four girls are showing signs of depression by the age of 14. And one in ten boys. Depression seems to be a normal part of aging where many, many elderly people these days seem to be quite routinely prescribed with antidepressants. 
It could be loneliness, could be for all sorts of reasons. So whether you are very young, whether you are very old, mental health is a huge, huge issue. But at all stages in between, millennials are also struggling. One in four people experience a mental health problem each year, and one in four patients in the NHS present with psychological rather than physical stuff. And Naomi is nodding. <laughs> I worked in a surgery with five GPs and it was really, really interesting talking to them because they get 10 minutes, 10 minutes, and I used to get an hour. Um, so it was a real privilege to work in, in a surgery. Um, so depression is an issue. Uh, jumping through to suicide is the biggest killer of men. I'm sure you will have heard this on the news. Suicide is the biggest killer of men under 35 in the UK. In 2017, of the 5,800 suicides recorded, 75% were men. The next one, um, you might have seen this poster campaign. Um, it was by, uh, next one, Papyrus, the prevention of young suicide. It's actually quite an eye-catching one, isn't it? I call it an eye-watering slide. What do you make of that? Is that save the whale? Save the male. It's actually horrible, but it really communicates, doesn't it? And the problem is, is that um, not only men are struggling, but over 200 school children have committed suicide each year in the, in the UK over the last decade. Also, you can hear it on the news, university campuses are really struggling, aren't they, with people throwing themselves off buildings, really, really horrible and alarming statistics. And often families can have absolutely no idea that the children or the teenagers or the men in their family are struggling, and suddenly something, something happens. And it would seem that for many of us, we are very reluctant to talk about it when we are struggling. And I'll say a little bit more about that in a minute. But men on the whole are very, um, and I know I'm generalizing here, and not all men, but on the whole, men are finding it hard to talk about their mental health and to talk about how they are feeling. We know that classically, don't we? But men are quite are more likely to be diagnosed uh, not with depression but more with an addiction because it's more acceptable to be talked about so it could be something like computer gaming it could be gambling it could be prescription drugs or it could be pornography so they're not so likely to be diagnosed with depression but they will have um, something more addictive that they're happy to talk about happier to talk about so are you depressed at the end of some of these statistics i probably didn't need to say it at all anyway did i um, but they, it is very, very alarming. And for me as a Christian, I am passionate. I am so passionate about this because it is such a hidden area of suffering. And so we talk about the love of God, but then we have the pain, the pain, the, pain, the colossal pain and suffering of people in our culture. And these are the verses that, um, if you like, jettison me into care of the soul jettisoned me into working as a therapist and that have sustained me for 12 years working hour after hour with individual after individual. And this is what God says. God says, let me choose it, but this is a people plundered and despoiled, 
All of them are trapped in caves or are hidden away in, in prisons. They've become a prey with none to deliver them and a spoil with none to say, give them back, give them back. And I think some of the most painful experiences in our lives are psychological rather than painful. And God has an opinion about it. And I think it's for us really to try and make links and to build bridges in this whole area. So there is an absolute crisis, and I call it an accident. Next one. Oh, that was millennials. Sorry, millennials. If you are called millennials, are called the anxious generation. I think we're all pretty anxious, but millennials particularly are coming through the doors of mental health services in droves. We have an accident and an emergency in our culture in terms of emotional health. And the thing is, there is genuine perplexity and confusion as to why. Why should this be? And people are often um, looking to the NHS for answers. Well, I do feel sorry for the NHS, actually. How can they possibly cope? And that's why it's very exciting when churches start to, to take kind of initiatives in this area. And even like today, and through what you know, Michael was, has been prepared to share we're starting to have a conversation about it. So there is an accident and an emergency around this area. And I think there are two difficult issues, two particular difficult issues. And one is the stigma, stigma attached to mental health. Working in a GP surgery, most people um, had only came to see me as a therapist because the doctor had thought it was a good idea. They didn't really believe in counselling. In fact, they didn't really want to be there at all. And my first job was to try and work with them to, to work on that because they didn't want to talk about it. Most people don't want to talk about it. So what do we do? We hide it and we cover it up and we certainly won't admit it. We might go and talk to our GP about it, but we wouldn't talk about it in church necessarily. And that is why it's so groundbreaking, Michael, what you, what you did. And I'm sure other people um, in your history of, as a church have, have done the same. It's true of the general population that they don't want to talk about it. But it is, can be, not always, but it can be particularly true of Christians. And for us as Christians, we have a bit of a double whammy because we feel that it's a betrayal of our faith to say we are struggling. Would you agree? It's hard, isn't it? And I even had people saying to me, I'm not going to church at the moment because I'm so emotional. And that is such a tragedy, isn't it? <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't admit that actually I have OCD or I have um, whatever it happens to be. And so it's a hard, it's a hard deal. Um, and we need to get over it. We do really need to get over it. And it's exciting when we, we get the opportunity. I hope more of you will have the opportunity, not so much standing up here on a Sunday morning, but maybe in our small groups, to get real about the things that we're struggling with. The other issue um, linked and related to stigma is the inequality between physical and mental health. Now, you hear the government saying, we're going to put more resources into mental health, don't we? Because there is a huge discrepancy. And from birth to the grave, we know all about physical health. And we are trained in physical hygiene, aren't we? 
even sleep hygiene these days. And so we know lots about physical health and physical hygiene and the links between the two. But what do you know about emotional health and even, dare I say it, emotional hygiene? Most of us may not have even heard of the phrase, what on earth is this woman talking about? But that we do need to, to know more about it. Sometimes we know how to take more care of our teeth and our hair than we do of our minds. And yet people have to pay me as, I, as a therapist and they say, well, I can't really can't afford to come and see you. And occasionally I'm a bit cheeky and I say, how much do you pay your dentist? How much do you pay your hairdresser? I mean, come on women, how much do you pay your hairdresser? So how much are you prepared to pay to work out what's going on up here and in here? So it's a bit of a, a, bit of a difficult one. Did you know that the, fi the top five, um, th that, uh, what the point I need to make is, as I've said it already, you're more likely to suffer from a psychological injury than you are from a physical one. And here are the, the, the top five emotional injuries. Now, I remember sitting in a multidisciplinary team clinical meeting at the GP surgery. And I was, I was in the surgery for, well, one of them, I was there for seven years. And developed a relationship with the GPs. And, and one of the things that we used to talk about, and many, many times people, as they were, the district nurses were there, the health visitors, and the conclusion they would come to many times was that the physical symptoms of what they were experiencing actually had emotional roots. And the, uh, the emotional pain is actually worse, can be worse than, psych than physical pain. And in fact, the senior partner <laughs> of the um, surgery where I worked actually stopped being a GP after a while and he trained as a therapist and a psychiatrist because he was very, very challenged by that. So you can read this list here and these are things that probably in a lifetime we will all experience from time to time, aren't they? And if you had been involved in a car, say a physical car crash, say you'd been involved in a physical car crash, you would know that you should take a month or two off work to recover. You had a broken leg, a broken arm, crushed, libs, uh, crushed ribs, and whiplash, it wouldn't really be a problem to you, would it, to take some time off work? You'd know that you needed to do that, to rest and to recover. But what about if you have had an emotional car crash? I call them emotional car crashes. I remember talking to a lady. She um, was referred um, for therapy, and she sat down in the chair, and she said, I'm working three days a week. I've just moved house. We're renovating the new house. I have two kids under five. My dad is terminally ill, and my husband is about to lose his job. And she was genuinely perplexed as to why she should be feeling low. I meet many, many people like that. We simply don't notice what is going on in our lives. So... I said to her, I think you probably need to take some time off. 
and she would not let the doctor sign her off from work. Now, you would if it was a physical car crash, but with an emotional one, we don't want stress on our, on our medical records, do we? We don't want depression. Um, so sometimes people think, I should just shake it off. It's in my head. But you wouldn't say that with a broken leg, would you? Of course you wouldn't. Don't shake it off. You know you've got to rest. So there actually is a huge discrepancy between our, the way we our attitudes to physical illness and pain and emotional illness and pain. So let me give you some um, quick definitions. What is good mental health? So I'm going to kind of give you a little bit of what they call psychoeducation here. This is what, again, the World Health Organization says about mental health. It's a state of well-being in which the individual realizes their abilities, copes with normal life stresses, works productively, and is able to make a contribution to the community. Well, that's fairly straightforward, you say. I want to, if you skip the next one, thank you, and then go on to the next one. Um, no, the one before, thank you. So, other helpful definitions. For me, mental health is about good emotional health. I keep interchanging, interchangeably talking about emotional and mental health. I like the phrase emotional health mainly because of the stigma attached to mental health. But good mental health is about being in touch with reality. Good mental health is lining your, uh, is, involves a commitment to the truth. Well, we'd like to sign up to that as Christians, wouldn't we? Being in reality, isn't that what knowing God and being a Christian is all about? A commitment to the truth. But this is a deeper discipleship, I would like to suggest. A dis it's not, discipleship is not just about what we believe in our heads, but it's actually about our behavior. And sometimes, it's talking for myself personally, it's harder to get things working um, in my life and my behavior. I might have my beliefs all sorted out up here, but there's a bit of a gap between what I believe in my head and what, what I'm actually doing day to day. So for me, mental health is about lining up my thoughts, my emotions, my behaviors with the truth. Now let me give you a couple of examples of when thoughts and feelings are out of touch with reality. And um, I'm sorry to keep referring to you, Michael, but this is the work that you are doing in many ways. Because therapists call it reality testing. Are you in touch with reality? Two examples of where um, your thoughts and your feelings might be out of touch with reality. So, reality. Give you another example when thoughts and feelings um, are in touch with reality, but we ignore them. Okay, so sometimes our thoughts and feelings are out of touch with reality. Sometimes they are in touch with reality, but we ignore them. So what's an example of that? Well, let's take the example of the lady who I described who had an emotional car crash. She started to feel sad. She started to feel low. What should she have done? I would have suggested that she should as Michael said, embrace sad. Listen to sad. This is so counterintuitive um, because let me just say something. 
don't ignore your emotions. I know some of us have very over-exaggerated over emotions, and we do need to learn to calm them down and regulate them. But don't ignore your emotions. Emotions tell you what you need. So can you say after me, don't ignore your emotions? One, two, three. Don't ignore your emotions. Emotions tell you what you need. Now, I wonder if you really believe me, because some of us are trained to completely ignore our emotions. Now, this, what this lady had been doing was she thought she was a wimp. She thought um, of a hundred reasons why she shouldn't feel sad and low, and why everybody else in the world, you know, when she watched her television screens, other people were in a much worse situation to her, so she shouldn't feel sad. What that means is, if you don't listen to sad, she needed to slow down a bit. She needed to start talking to someone. She needed to book a, a coffee with a friend, but she couldn't do it. In fact, what most of us do when we feel a strong feeling is we speed up and we get busy because it's our anesthetic to keep, keep it at bay. So in my opinion, do feel free to disagree, good mental health is about being in touch with reality, in touch with the truth, and actually beginning to listen to yourself, really beginning to listen to yourself, um, and embrace particular things rather than and work them through. Another quick definition, and this is where I could have the, the next slide, mental health is compromised when the external chaos and stress becomes internal chaos and stress. So again, these are really obvious things. There are some personal things that can make us feel emotionally wobbly, can't there? Aren't there? But there are also at the minute some national things like Brexit, say that word. It's really getting through to us. Andy and I were listening to Radio 4 this morning and you know the anxiety people are feeling around Brexit. So they can be national things. And there is even global issues that, well, I say even, that make us feel extremely anxious. And they've just coined the phrase eco-anxiety about climate change. And so what is actually happening is when the stress out there meets, becomes internal, then we have a meltdown. We have an internal collapse. And that is extremely difficult. So why do you think it is that mental health is an issue today? Do you know what? I'm not going to talk about it because we won't, I'll run out of time and there's some other things I want to talk about. But maybe that's something you could... We've all got an opinion on this and I don't want to really say it's very easy to explain. I think there are multi-layered, complex reasons why mental health is an issue today. But one of them, I would say, is loneliness and isolation. And I'm not just talking about the elderly here. Some of the most lonely and anxious people I'm, I'm working with at the minute are between 20 and 30. And they sit in their bedrooms and the world is beamed into their hard drive and their internet and their, on the net and the social media and Instagram and all of that. They are some of the most isolated people that I know and it is very, very scary. So one issue is belonging. And our culture that pushes us towards achievement rather than connecting. And that's what church is about, isn't it? It's about connecting. So I've said I wouldn't say more about it. So let's go and not this one and the next one. 
No, the next one. No, not this one. So I want to just say briefly, very, very quickly, there is a spectrum of mental health or of emotional health. And mental health tends to be an us and them thing. An us and them. You have mental health problems, I don't. No, it's not true. The, the three particular words, we all have emotional needs. We all have mental health needs. Three words, needs, problems, illnesses. Okay? And if we were looking after ourselves a little bit better, then our um, emotional needs would be met and taken care of. And that's a, probably another half-hour talk as to how you do that. Our emotional needs would be taken care of if we looked after ourselves. But it's when we, our, men, our emotional needs are compromised that we start to experience problems. And this is the area where you might be feeling anxious or stressed or depressed or uh, just not coping with life. You go and see your GP. I really feel for GPs, you know, because they are, they are such a crunch point in our, in our society. And we expect far too much of them. We really, really do. So how can they possibly cope? They can't. No wonder most of them are leaving the profession in droves. Anyway, that's a, an aside. Um, what was I saying? Needs. Yes, thank you. Needs. Needs. Mental health needs become problems. And it's when, if we can't talk about it, if we don't find some way of connecting... How do you connect when you've got a problem? Most of us find really healthy every way. We come to church. We have a chat in small group. We will have coffee with a friend, or uh, we will start to journal like Michael was doing, or we will, we will pray and all sorts of stuff that is very, very helpful. But often when you have a problem, there needs to be some kind of intervention, be that an everyday intervention or Increasingly, we're becoming very medicalized. It has to be seeing the GP or even going to see a therapist. Now, I happen to think therapy is not just about having mental health problems. I see therapy as personal development. Um, and so the stigma shouldn't be there at all. Most people that come and see me will say, I wish I'd done this 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and I wouldn't have made so many mistakes because it's about personal development. But mental health problems, if there isn't any intervention, be that an everyday reaching out or a more medical one, then we get into mental health illnesses. And the next slide. Again, you've, you've come across all of these. I could talk about them all one by one, but there isn't time. Um, but these, uh, no, keep going, next one. No, we won't talk about that one or that one. We'll go to the next one, yeah. So this is a list of mental health issues, um, problems. And they start off with the neurotic ones, which is uh, addictions, different kinds of addiction, anxiety, generalized anxiety, OCD, we've heard about this morning, phobias, PTSD. Two, three, four, and five are all part of the anxiety family. Depression, self-harm, and it's not on there, but suicide is also quite linked together. And then we're coming from the neurotic side to the psychotic, which are the personality disorders, identity issues, bipolar, and schizophrenia. And that's the list. Well, there's, there's others. There are others. Um, so just for the sake of time, because I wanted to just leave a bit of time at the end, 
Um, what are the positive habits that promote or compromise good mental health? So we have the next slide. Down the next slide. Okay, so I was talking earlier that if, how do you, this is emotional hygiene. <laughs> and again, this is, just a, this is just what I could fit on a PowerPoint slide. How do you look after yourself emotionally and mentally? How do you take care of your mind? What helps you to bring your mind to rest? Well, we need to get into the green zone. Habits that promote what the psychologists call subjective well-being. And this is where it's physical as well. We're in the parasympathetic nervous system, which I, some people have called the rest and the digest. This is where your endorphins and your oxytocin. This is soothe. These are things like walks in the country. These are things that actually give you joy, and they'll be different for each one of us, but actually things that calm us down, soothe us, that get us in touch with the buzz in life, um, and are very good. And you'll see how many things of those things are things that actually we get to do in church, which is wonderful. So we need, we can't always be in the green zone, can we? Not always. You'll see some of you shaking your head. Um, we don't live only, you can't live, life isn't normal if you're just in the green zone. You do need some stress in your life. Stress is normal. Anxiety is normal. Don't try and get rid of your anxiety because you never will. It's part of being human. But we need to be in the red zone a little bit. But the problem is, people, that we are living too much in the red zone and there's very little green zone. And our culture is in free fall and it speeds us up the whole time. We are, ra and I speak for myself, I'm racing around. I've got a list of things to do. And really the, the, the trick, if you like, is how to live in both but not to neglect that green zone. I'm not saying don't be in the red zone. You will. You need to act. You need to organize. You need to have lists. You need to go to work. It will be stressful, but balance your life. And as Christians, we call that Sabbath. So the last thing I want to say, and I believe me, I had probably at least another half hour I could have talked about, so you'll have to invite me back sometime. If there was one thing that I would say to us as Christians... I am so passionate about this. There's one thing that I would say to you as to um, you have a relationship with God. You have a, a God, what I call a God engagement system, a God attachment. We have a relationship with God. We even have a relationship with other people, a social engagement system. But for many of us as Christians, what we have lost, and this really impacts our our emotional health, is a relationship with ourselves. We neglect it. Are you, some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. I'm not saying all of us do, but many of us do. We have no internal, we have no working knowledge of our own internal world. You might think, this sounds very dodgy. Very, very dodgy. Am I endorsing the me, 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 and why not of our culture by saying befriend yourself? I, I don't think so. Humor me for a minute. What I am saying is that Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I'll have brunch with them. Is that what Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 says? It does. We've moved on a little bit. So keep going. 
How can we respond? Okay, so I see the house. So I, a symbol of the self is the house, is a house, yeah? And biblically, I think I'm standing on solid ground here because Jesus talks about the self as a house. And the, the scripture I've just given you is saying, I'm standing at the door of your house, but it's your decision if you will hear my voice and open the door. And there are many rooms in your house. And some of those rooms, I, wanna, oh, I want to come into all of the rooms, but actually there are some rooms you'll let me into, but there are other rooms that you won't. Some rooms are all tidy and well lit and nice for guests to go into. But other rooms, are doors are closed, even locked. Some rooms you'll go into but won't let anyone else into. But other rooms you, won't, you haven't been in yourself because it's too scary or you're too ashamed. And Jesus says, I want to come in. This is the ground of inner healing, the rooms of our house. And there are so many pictures here. Uh, the, the biblical picture of the house built on the rock and the house built on the sand. And I think that in Matthew 7, when Jesus is saying, um, anyone who hears these words of mine can be compared to the wise man that built his house, the house of his self, on the rock. And when the emotional rain, and when the emotional storms, and when the emotional winds blew, that house stood firm. Anyone who hears these words of mine who doesn't hear these words of mine is, is like a, man, a foolish man who's built his house, his self, on the sand. We don't have a solid sense of self. And so for me, as a Christian, I need to grow in my self-awareness. So I think a very biblical image, uh, a very biblical image for the self is, is a house. And this whole area is so important. So let's just click on, because... That, that was, yeah, so that, can we get, yes, yeah, stay there. Parable of the house built on the rock. So you see that house is full of, li of light. It takes two to have a relationship, and this is why some of us are struggling with our relationship with God, is because we sing in church, it's all about God. Don't we? We even have a song that says that. It's all about you, it's not about me. Now, I know what we, what we mean. God is amazing. He is, he's just awesome. And in comparison, I am tiny. But do you know what? It takes two to have a relationship. And you have a true self. You have a house of the self that God wants to inhabit and accompany you into all the rooms. And you can't have a really full-orbed flesh and blood relationship with God until you have an eye that can have a relationship with him. So for me, working as a therapist, this is the area with Christians I have to work on the most. It's certainly an area I've had to work on myself. You've got to have two people in a relationship. And this is why David in the Psalms, what does David do? He's modeling something to us. He's saying, he starts off with how bad it is, doesn't he? He says, I am angry. I am down. I am. He's really being real about his emotional state. That's, he's living in his house. His house is, is full of light. It's not pretty. It's not not where you'll stay but unless you locate where you are you can't move on and for us in my opinion that is why we struggle with our emotional health is we cannot move on um, start where you are and have a real relationship with God and just um, show you 
one slide, um, next one. Just one quote at the, the very top. How can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? So this, this may be a new thought to some of you. This may not be. So what I want to, uh, we won't show any more slides because I'm aware of the time and I'm going to stop now. Um, but the way in which we look at this as a way forward, I think, as Christians, is to try spirit, um, reading our Bibles in a way where we encounter God with the heart and not just encountering God with the mind. And, you know, I read Tom Wright. I love books that really help me to understand God with my mind. But I have been also really helped by Ignatian contemplative spirituality, which actually helps me to read scripture. Um, there's two different exercises, um, Lectio Divina and the Examine, which actually helps at all, or reading scripture, using our imagination and helping us to put ourselves into the scene of, of the gospel story, for example. So we will encounter God emotionally and with the heart and not just with the mind. This is extremely good for our emotional health because we're not just thinking, oh, yes, I think I believe that correctly, but we're actually saying, actually, in my life, I really I feel quite upset with God. I feel quite upset with my family, and I'm getting real. And Because if you don't get real, you can't move on and you can't work it through, and you can't process it. So I really do recommend that to you. Um, just So befriend yourself is my main point. Befriend your emotions. Um, and I, I said no more. Uh, can we go back? Sorry. <laughs> I need to not tell porky pies. Now we're back on again, because um, I had some resources up there. I want to recommend a couple of books, which you may have heard of before. Nigel's been plug plugging some on the bookstore. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality is about the best book on this subject. I 100% endorse what's written in this book. And just to say that if you're interested in any of the themes of what I've talked about, they are much better and more intelligently written about in Andy's book, who um, is here today called Lasting Happiness. It's a really interesting read. Okay. So, so befriend yourself, befriend your emotions, befriend your thoughts, embrace them. It's not where you'll, you'll end up, but you've got to start there because otherwise we are in danger of having emotional health issues.